The third king of Israel, King Solomon, said, God has set the right time for everything. Solomon said that at the end of his biblical poem about time. Uh, the poem starts like this. For everything there is a season and a time for every activity under heaven. He then gives us a list of human activities under heaven. For example, he says, there is a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn and a time to dance, as I hope we'll do later on. Now, one of the right times mentioned on that list is a time to love. A time to love. Today we are celebrating the right timing of love in the life of our brother Victor and our dear sister Bola. A time to love. God has brought you together in his right time to enter a union of love as husband and wife. It is your time to love. A time to love one another physically. A time to love one another emotionally. And a time to love one another spiritually. And so as you start your marriage, I just want to give you two encouragements about love from the Bible passage we just read. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 11. There are two encouragements I want to give you today. The first encouragement is this. God has given you a new life of love in Christ. That's my first encouragement. As you get married, remember that God has already given you a new life of love in Christ. I wonder whether you have asked yourself this question. What makes a marriage of two followers of Christ different from any other marriage? Now, it is true that every legitimate marriage that brings a man and a woman together is special. Because God has blessed the bond of marriage. But there is something extra special about the marriage of two true followers of Christ. And it is this. Our marriage... Our marriages are built on the love of God. When two Christians come together are truly born again, their marriage is built on the love of God, the unbreakable love of God. Look at verse 7 to 8 there in the passage that our brother Nika just read for us. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, anyone who does not love, does not know God because God is love. The Bible is saying that God is the source from which all rivers of love flow. No human being can truly love others without God giving them his love first. Any other love that's not founded on God is just a shadow, a charade. It's no love at all, really. It's a copy, a broken copy of the true love of God. Now, I know this offends some of you here. 
you've come to church and perhaps you haven't been for a year or so, or perhaps a decade, and you do not believe in God. And you feel, at the same time, you have bags of love. What is Chola talking about? I don't need God to love someone. Well, yes, you do. To have true love of God, you need God. You see, when the Bible speaks of love, it is using a specific word here. And the word is agape. Agape is love that is pure, uninfluenced, unconditional, unreserved, and eternal. It is love that God has within himself. Because you see, God is three persons in one essence. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three persons are one God, not three gods, one God. Now, what is the eternal glue that bonds, that unites these three eternal persons of the Godhead together? Well, the answer is agape. The one and only true God is a loving relationship bound by love. The inner life of God is a life of three persons loving each other for all eternity without strings attached. God is full of pleasure and love and delight within himself. And so John says here, God is love. That is to say, God is a loving relationship. To live with God is to be with a person whose inner being and essence oozes out love for you that never ends. God is always loving and enjoying giving love. That is how God is. Now the problem is that we as human beings cannot receive and enjoy this love of God. Why? Because God is holy. He is pure. God cannot share life with sinners like us. All of us here in this room are all sinners. I'm not saying you don't do good things. I know you love your family. I know you don't drink and drive. I know you pay your taxes. Even during the cost of living crisis, you're still paying them. I know you'd die for this country, even if Boris was still prime minister. You're good. You do good things. So I'm not saying you don't do good things. What I'm saying is that even though you do good things, you are still a moral failure. A moral failure before God. You have failed to meet the perfect and holy standard of God. You are a moral failure because you do not treat God as he deserves to be treated. God created you. He is our father. But you don't respect God in the way you live. God is perfectly holy, good, righteous, kind, and majestic. But you do not put him first. You do many good things in your life, but you don't put God first. You only live for you. You live like God is a fool to you. You do not honor this God who created you. And you know this is true. You know in your heart that every day you disobey what God commands you to do. 
Who here can honestly say they have never told a lie? Who here can say they have never disobeyed their parents in all their life? Who here, even on this wedding day, can say they've never had a lustful thought that God forbids? Who in this room can say they have never taken anything that did not belong to them? All of these things are sins and many more. They break the holy law of God. All those things I've mentioned come from the Ten Commandment. And you and I have broken them. We are, you and I are guilty sinners before God. But it is worse than that. We do not just sin. Sin is our identity. Just as you can't change the color of your skin, you can't stop sinning. Because sin is your spiritual skin. When our ancestor Adam rebelled against God, all his descendants inherited a sinful nature. The Bible says we are dead in sin. We are spiritually dead. That is to say we are born as sinners who are cut off from the very life of God. And as a result, we cannot love God and love each other with the true love of God. Just as you can't expect apples to produce oranges, you cannot expect a human being who is cut off from the life of God to love others and love God as God commands. For us to truly love others, we need God to give us new life with him. We need God to save us from sin and to give us a new life of love with him. And the good news of the Bible is that God has done this. God the Father sent his beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to give us new life by dying on the cross for our sins. You see, the wages you have earned from God for your sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. We are all heading to hell when we die. That's what the Bible says. Now, God doesn't want anyone suffering in hell and cut off from his love. So God sent his beloved son to come and suffer the punishment on the cross that we deserve. Look at verse 9 to 10 there in the verse we read. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this his love. Not that we have loved God. We haven't. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Do you know what that word propitiation means? It's a bit difficult to pronounce. Even for a Zambian like myself, I've been trying to get on, trying to really get this one right. Propitiation, right? Well, the word propitiation means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath against sinners and turns it to our favor. Jesus came to do this very thing for us. He came to do this thing for you. And he did it for you when he died on the cross. Jesus did not die on the cross by accident. He came on a mission to die for your sins. He came on a mission to save you from hell. Christ died for you so that if you truly admit today that you are a moral failure, 
incapable of loving God and loving others as you should, if you admit that and repent of your sin and surrender your life to Him, God will save you this very moment, right now. If you cry out to God and say to Him, Lord, I am a moral failure, I am a sinner, and I see that I, I cannot save myself. I see that if I carry on in my rebellion, I'll continue to live without your true love in my life. I will perish in hell forever when I die. I see that now, Lord. I see that. I see that attending church won't save me. Doing things for you won't save me. Reading the Bible won't save me. Only trusting in this Jesus who bled and died on the cross for my sins will save me. I see that. If you say that, I see that. I repent of my sin. I surrender to you, not as a tick box exercise. Lord, I want you to have my heart. And I want to have your heart. I want to live for you forever. If you surrender to God like that, and you really mean it in your heart, not just mouthing of words, if you mean it, right now, right here, God will forgive your sins. You forgive your sins. He'll give you a new heart. He'll write your name in heaven. He'll come and live in your heart. He will fill you with his love. You can truly say, the Lord is now my shepherd. Do that right now. Come to him. Don't delay. You don't know when death will come for you. Surrender to Jesus. Become a true Christian with a new heart. Oh, what a joyful thing it would be for you to say as you look back years from now and say, I repented and truly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ on that wonderful day when Bola and Victor got married. Bola and Victor are already true followers of Christ. God has given them this new life of love in Christ. They have been filled with the true love of God. And oh, what a wonderful truth that is, isn't it, for us here. As we sit here this afternoon, we can truly rejoice in this marriage because we know it is a marriage of agape. We do not have to worry whether Bola will always love Victor or whether Victor will always love Bola. We don't have to worry about that. We know they will always love each other. Why? Because as followers of Christ, they already share the love of God. They are already brother and sister in Christ. And this new marriage is simply a deeper way, a unique way, a gift from God to showcase this agape in their lives. To go deeper, a different shade of agape, we might say. Bola and Victor, you are so blessed, beloved. You are starting your marriage with a divine advantage. A Christocentric advantage. God loves you in Christ. And he has poured all of his agape in you. You have all the amazing love of the triune God. You have all the love you need in your marriage because you already share in the loving life of Christ. Now I'm not saying there will not be moments in your Marriage when you struggle to live out this love. On this side of heaven, you are still being perfected. So your love will always be below its full potential. 
in Christ. But because you have the life of God in you, your love for each other is full of hope and it will keep on growing from here on. And of course, this leads us to the big question, isn't it? How are you going to know that you are growing in loving each other? How does true love of a Christian couple look like? Well, this brings me to the second encouragement. Uh, We have seen that the first encouragement I have for you is that always remember that God has given you a new life of love in Christ. Well, the second encouragement I just want to leave you with you this afternoon is this. Always remember, always remember, God is your model of how to love each other. Always remember God is your model of how to love each other. You know, when a child is learning how to draw, they often use a stencil, don't they? Or a template. And this stencil or template helps them to to trace on a piece of paper the image they want to grow, because that's how you learn how to, grow, to draw, right? Just how to draw, they get this stencil out, and it's an elephant, I remember doing that in grade one. In Zambia, you get an elephant out, and you're drawing it out, and you're like, yeah, I've drawn an elephant. Stencils are good. Well, the Bible teaches us that the love of God, that God has shown you in Christ, is your stencil. That is meant to help you draw out the love of God in your marriage. Look at verse 9 to verse 11 there again. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then he says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The word ought there in verse 11 is saying, we must follow the model of God's love for us because we have experienced this true love for God, from God. Therefore, this is how we are meant to love. We should love others as God has loved us. You are meant to love each other as God has loved you in Christ. So when we look at the love of God, God has shown us in Christ, what does he teach us about how we are meant to love one another as children of God? How you are meant to love each other in this marriage? Well, three things I just want to share with you quickly. First of all, we see that true love is one-way love. True love is one-way love. True love reaches to those who don't deserve it. That's what verse 9 to 10 says. Verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved you when you hated him. He loved you in, when you were rebellious against him. God loved you when you had, you had all your moral weapons pointed at him. When you worshipped and honored the devil with his filth of your sin. God loved you. He reached out to you. It was grace, wasn't it? It was grace. And so your marriage, Paul and Victor, now must be a billboard of this one-way love. You must love each other no matter how much you are sinned against by the other person. One-way love is patient. 
It is kind. It is not rude. It is not benting on itself. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It does not sulk for days. It is not manipulative. No one-way love of God is always bearing up, always looking for a window to serve. It is always trusting, always hopeful. One-way love never ends. And that's the love you've got to have for each other. A love that is one way. Always giving. Not expecting anything in return. Secondly, the love of God to us in Christ is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Look at that in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son, only son into the world. God didn't just talk about love for you, Bolan Victor. He sent his priceless eternal son to die for you. The gift of Christ to, to you from God was not a cheap gift. It was not a gift of gold or silver or earthly things. No, this Christ who bled and died for you on the cross is very God of oh, very God. We are saved by the precious blood of God. And so you must love each other like that. Your love must be like God's love. What I mean by that is give each other your body, your mind, your time. And all that is precious to you. At the start I said today is the time to love. I should have also said, it is a time to die. The wedding is the beginning of your spiritual self-crucifixion for each other. God is calling you today to die to self. He's calling you to put each other first. This means humbling yourself, becoming nothing before each other. It means using every opportunity in your life to humble yourself to serve each other. It is a marriage is a call. It's not to be entered in lightly. Why? Because marriage is a call to death. Death to self. So that you can be led in loving service for the other. Victor, I pray to the Lord God Almighty to make you the most humble, the most meek, the most willing of husbands. Bola, I, I, plead, I, I plead before God for you that God will make you the, the humblest of women. The humblest of women. Your vow has one word that, that, that isn't actually invictus. And the word is obey. And to obey marriage requires humbleness. To submit your husband requires humbleness. And my prayer has been that God would make you the humblest of women. The world doesn't agree with this. Of course it doesn't. But our answer to the world and this foolishness is verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Finally, and you'll be glad to hear, finally, right? The love of God 
to us in Christ is life-giving. Life-giving. Look at verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world. Why? So that we might live through Him. God did not just forgive our sins. He gave us new life with Him. God in Christ now lives with us. He lives in you. And He lives with you. And you live in God. So Paul and Victor, let your love for each other also be life-giving. What do I mean by that? I mean your job is to point each other every day to the life-giver. You are not getting married to promote yourself. Marriage, listen to me, marriage is not an end in of itself. If anyone here is single and wants to get married, I just want to say marriage is not an end. In it, it's not an end in, for itself. No, marriage is a tool in the hand of a gracious God to grow you in the life of Christ. So today, resolve now to use every opportunity in your marriage to remind each other to look to Christ, the life giver. Do not take the place of Christ in each other's lives. That is spiritual self-harming. To dethrone God in your marriage and put yourself first, that's self-destruction. Resolve today to encourage your spouse to put Christ first and you second. This is hard. It will be painful at first. But over time, it will grow your happiness in Christ. It will grow your happiness in marriage. Let every difficulty you face point you to Christ. He alone is a source of love. He alone is a fountain of joy. He alone gives everlasting life. So ask God today to make your marriage be like this, isn't it? One way. Sacrificial. Life-giving. Let your love follow the love of God in Christ for you. God is faithful. He will grow your love together. And we are sure of this because of that first encouragement, isn't it? God has already given you a new life of love in Christ. You are not alone in your marriage. Christ, our powerful, faithful, good, and gentle shepherd is with you. He has your back. He is already guiding you in your marriage as you begin it today. Your responsibility is to keep surrendering to Christ. To keep reminding yourself of this sensational love of God that is yours in Christ. Focus on it. And as you do that, your love for each other will increasingly take the shape of this amazing love of God. It will be a one-way, sacrificial and life-giving love. Well, may God help you both as his children to grow in loving each other as you enter this wonderful and unique union as husband and wife.